25 years ago, I thought I was going to die. I thought, how can I do this? I had never spoken uh, for more than three weeks in a row, and I had only done that three Sundays in a row. I'd only done that twice in about a 10-year or so period. And, uh, and I just thought, I do not know how this works. I do not know what to do. I hear a voice. Uh, and, uh, but I learned that if you depend upon God and you show up, he shows up. When we show up, he shows up. And so I started to show up. And you started to show up. And all I've ever wanted, really, was a, uh, a place in a room where I could teach the Bible and where you would hear what God is saying to you. And that's all I have ever wanted, and I thank you for allowing me to have that opportunity. I thank God for allowing me to have that opportunity. And Jesus told stories, and I learned to tell stories. And so here we go. Let me tell you a story. There's always a reality of something that we have to confront, that we have to do battle with in our lives. It's always been that way. It was that way in the Garden of Eden. It's that way today. And it was that way over 2,500 years ago when Israel was deported to Babylon. Let me take you back. The year is 587 B.C. And we're going to listen to a letter that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And there are going to be some lessons that we need to learn from this letter. Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the problem was idolatry and rebellion because God wants us to stay focused God wants us to stay, to stay on track, to be in divine alignment to the kingdom. And when that doesn't happen, he has to do things that grab our attention and get us back on track. And so they got, they got deported. They got sent to Babylon. And they are there, and they don't know. Their heads are spinning. And they get this letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then they get some very surprising news. Build houses and settle down. They've been deported from their country. They've been deported from Jerusalem. And God's saying, it's going to be a while. You might as well start building houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. This is now a multi-generational plan of action. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too 
will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. So there were, there were prophets who were saying, uh, I think we're going to turn this thing around fast. I think we're going we're to go back home sooner than you think. And so why don't we all have, have little prayer meetings about going home? Why don't we have little gatherings about thinking about how it's going to be really good when we get back home again? And somebody started to sing a song about get back home again. And, and that was not what God was doing. And so he says, do not listen to those that say, we're going back soon because you're not. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have because they're all wanting to go back home soon. God says, no, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. You know what that is? Fake news. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. They're gone for 70 years. That's a long time. 70 years, generation after generation. When 70 years are completed, I'll come back and I'll bring you back home. And then there's this defining moment. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God puts them into a geographical move because he really wants them into a heartbeat move. Here's the reality check. The future isn't, what are we going to do? People ask me this all the time. What are we going to do? It's not the future. It's not the first question. Not even close. The future is, who will you be? And whose will you be? Are you the one? That's the question. Are you the one? A bunch of ones always creates the future God wants because they hear his voice, his call, and they do his bidding. When we started the church, we had a meeting in 1994, and about 81s sat in a room, and I said, I'm asking you to be the ones that take ownership for this church, take ownership for the ministry and mission. And we're about nine months old. And, and somebody had to step in, and a bunch of ones stepped into that gap. And because a bunch of ones heard God's voice, we're here today. In an article in the Wall Street Journal last week, It's Hard to Find God on the Front Page by Julia Dewan, I read these words. Religion News Service 
RNS, perhaps America's most important wire service for faith and belief, is experiencing a meltdown. Faith, faith wasn't translating into enough clicks. See, we live in a world of clicks now. It's always been a struggle to persuade news executives that Americans are more interested in religion than, say, sports. Let me take you back 25 years to when Springbrand started. Religious giving in the United States at that time totaled $56.7 billion, which was 14 times gate receipts for America's three biggest sports. Attendance at religious events in 1993 was 5.6 billion people, which was 55 times the 103 million total attendance reported by baseball, football, and basketball. In other words, MLB, the NFL, and the NBA are not even a close second to where people want to go and hear that maybe God has a message for them, maybe God has a letter for them, maybe God has something for them, maybe God is calling them to be the one. No wonder LeBron is feeling bad these days. <laughs> we have always needed entertainment in our lives. That's why God made butterflies and porpoises and sunsets and walk-offs. But more than entertainments, we need God himself. Oh, that is our deepest need, and it always has been. So let's go back to Jeremiah's letter, and let's discern the lessons from the letter from God. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. When they grow up, find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. The first admonition from God. And I think he speaks this into our lives today. Live normal lives. And it's one of my great phrases from 25 years of being Spring Branch Community Church together. Be normal. Just be normal. Don't go out of here and, and, and change anything about the way you live. Be normal in, in having a home and having a place that you rent or getting up and going to work because that's where God puts you in relationship to people who don't know him, who need to know him. People are going to hear from God because they're going to see God in you. That's the whole point. That was laid down explicitly in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 long ago. It's like live your life, get up, go down the road. When you go to bed at night, when you rise up in the morning, your focus has to be 110% on the God who gave Jesus Christ into the world and left us with the Holy Spirit so that his presence is never far from anyone. Live normal lives and let God, through your normal life, touch people with his grace, touch people with his love, remind people that he's still there. As Bob Goff so eloquently said, so simply, God uses ordinary people like us to do things, to change things, to make the world a better place. That's why Jesus said, you're a light in the world. 
It should be like a city set on a hill. Everybody should know that we're different because of God, not because of us. Live normal lives. He also taught this principle in the letter. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. You're not going home anytime soon. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place while you're living normal lives, build the social and financial culture in which you live. Build a spiritual culture at the very core of everything. Lean in, make a difference. Where there's a gap, fill the gap. Where there is an opportunity, step up to the opportunity. Pray hard all the time to the Lord because he's the one that is defining everything about your life and your future, which is the, the, the last point of this letter. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that becomes the key. That becomes the glue that, that holds it all together when we seek him with all our hearts, when we are wholeheartedly devoted, individually and corporately, when we're wholeheartedly devoted. God is the one who creates the future. I know the plans I have for you to give you hope and a future. It's God who does it as we hear him, as he tells us what to do, as he shows us what to do. It's not what are we going to do, he's going to show us. It's are you the one? Are you the one that he called? Like he called Noah to build an ark. You think that was easy to build an ark? It wasn't easy. It took 100 years. Like he called Abraham. You think it was easy to be the person that God chose to bring the understanding of, of one God into a, a polytheistic culture at the time? You think it was easy what Esther did when she saved the Jews from extinction? You think it was easy to be Mary and, and come to grips with she was going to have the son of God, her baby was going to be God. You think it was easy for Paul after he got knocked off his high horse and, and was told that he was going to serve Jesus Christ for the rest of his days? Nothing's ever been easy. You think it was easy for Peter after he denied Jesus to come back and realize he was the one that God was calling to, to lead and to speak into the lives of people in the first century, to turn everything around so that people would wholeheartedly know God and live for God and give everything they had for God. You read about the church in Acts. They gave their stuff away. They sold property that they had and they brought it into the early church so that no one would have need. They were different. The world was stunned by the early church. 
and their behavior, their attitudes and their actions. The world, again, needs to be stunned by the church with our attitudes, our behaviors, and our actions. God is the one who creates the future. He creates it with and through each and every one of us. The future isn't, what are we going to do? It's never been the first question. The future is, who will you be and whose will you be? Are you the one? Are you the one? So the other day, I'm driving home. I left the church about five, six minutes ago, and I'm driving, and, and I, I remember one more thing. So I'm going to call Debbie Hudson Payne to say, there's one more thing we have to do tomorrow. And she's left the church, and she's driving up Great Neck Road, and as I'm talking to her, she goes, there's a big, there's a big turtle on the side of Great Neck Road. And I said to her, because I'm, I'm a big turtle-saving guy, I said to her, well, you have to save the turtle. And she's thinking about, she's going home to make dinner. I said, no, 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 you've got you've to save the turtle. And she said this to me, and I quote, he's in God's hands. <laughs> and I said to her, and I quote, you are God's hands. And I turned the car around and I started heading there because if there's a turtle in trouble, uh, I'm going to be there. And, and then she felt guilty enough that she turned around and she went there. So we both, we both came to the, the site at the same time, right out front of Holy Family Catholic Church. We parked our cars there. I put on the flashers. We start walking down the sidewalk. We walked for an entire block. I said, are you sure you saw a turtle? She said, yeah, I saw a turtle. I said, are you sure? We kept walking for another almost block, half a block, and there he was. And he was a big boy. There is Jurassic Turtle. At that time, he was 30 pounds. A day later, I pegged him at 100, and, and now I think he was a 300-pound turtle. He was just, he was massive and huge. So, so there was a woman, her name is, is Debbie also, and she comes to Spring Branch. She saw us by the side of the road, and so she shows up, and, and we're like looking at the turtle and trying to figure it out. She goes, maybe we could get a shovel and put him in something. So she went, she got a shovel and a bin. And as I, as I chronicled everything by, with my phone, uh, and they did with the turtle what they had to do, the turtle stuff, they got the turtle in the bin. So let's hear it for the women who just stepped up. <laughs> Debbie and Debbie, the turtle warriors. Okay, so, so the turtle's now in the bin, and this is a big, heavy turtle. So I put the turtle in my car, and, and I think, what am I going to do now? And, and this is part of the story that maybe I shouldn't tell, but uh, I went to dinner, uh, <laughs> and I valeted the car with the turtle in it, uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't tell the, the attendant that there was a giant snapping turtle in the back of the car. I figure if he finds out, he finds out. Also, uh, Bodie and Wilson were in the car, too. I thought, they can handle it, they're fine, they're good. So, uh, so after dinner, which is a pretty, pretty good dinner, so then I took the turtle and I had to relocate the turtle to its new home, which here's the new home of the turtle, way down Laskin Road, he has a gazebo, he's got a beautiful overlook there, and a little bridge, he's got, you know, so, so but now I gotta get the turtle out of the bin into the water, and I'm up like six, eight feet above the water, and, and so I got the bin and I thought, 
you know, if I flip them upside down and get stuck in the mud, that's not good because then I got to go in in the mud with the turtle. So I cautiously tipped the bin. Turtle's now here, water's down there. And then I said, okay, here we go. And I jerked the blue bin and the turtle went vertical. And the turtle was almost suspended in midair, never thinking in his life that he would skydive. <laughs> and now here he is skydiving, you know, with the, the faint rays of the setting sun gleaming off of his, his claws. He is going down, and I'm just holding my breath. And he hits the water with a big splash. And all I see is like mud everywhere. I can't see anything. About five, 10 seconds went by. And all of a sudden, I saw the turtle. And it was just, it was gliding fluidly, just gleaming in the late afternoon sunset, looking like, I'm home. I'm home now. I'm home. And I thought about it at that very moment. I said, you know, I think we are like skydiving turtles in many, many ways. We sometimes can't figure which end is up, how we got here where we're going, and God writes a letter, and he says, yeah, you feel like a skydiving turtle, but I am going to get you home, and when you get home, in my time, when I make that decision, you're going to be just fine, so you hang in there, because you are my chosen instruments to bring my love and my grace to a world that does not know my son, you're God's hands, you're God's feet. That's who you are as spring branch. You're God's hands, you're God's feet. And he's going to define things through you. But you have to answer the question, are you the one? So here's the mission, the mission of our church. It's always been this mission, and it still is this mission. Leading people to Christ, church, and compassion. To Christ, we want people to know Jesus Christ, and we want to lead them toward him so they can make that decision about giving their lives to him. Church, leading people to church, what that means is to get connected in a community. I'm going to describe the community in just a few minutes, but, but there's no one on the planet that doesn't need to be in a community, and the church is a unique community of called individuals doing God's work in the world. So we want to lead these people who come to Christ into an experience of Christian community. And then compassion. Compassion is what Jesus talked about all the time. And he talked about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick in prison, looking for those who are on the edge and reaching out to them. And so that's our calling because he called us for that and with that. That's why we're asking you to bring groceries in for next Sunday to pile them up in the, in the lobby so that the JCOC can have the food that they need to minister to the, the marginalized and the homeless in our community. So they said, we need help. We said, we will help. So grab groceries and bring them in next week and we'll get them down there because we really have a mission of compassion. Here's our core values. Believing the Bible speaks in a fresh way to each generation. We purpose to apply biblical principles to everyday life, bringing faith and life together. The Bible, it's our book. It's what we 
stand upon. It's what we build upon. Believing people need to know God, we purpose to establish an environment where inquiry and the spiritual decision-making process are valued and affirmed. You do not have to have all the answers when you come here. You can have a lot of questions, and we want to meet with you and engage your questions with you. Believing people need a community in which to be nurtured and grow is our mission to develop a Christian community based on love, acceptance, forgiveness, service, and prayer. Believing the greatest message in the world is God offering his son for our redemption, we strive to teach the gospel through culturally relevant styles of communication across the board, across generations. Believing commitment to Christ is the highest calling for a human being. We offer ministries for every stage of life, leading people towards spiritual maturity. That's the goal, that we are mature in Christ. Believing the arts are gifts from God, we value creativity and programming services for children, students, and adults through music, worship, drama, lighting, media, and the spoken word. That's what communicates in a culture that is blitzed all the time with all different kinds of communication. Believing excellence honors God and inspires people, we reach for the highest level of quality in all areas of church life and ministry. If you don't want to do your best, what are you doing? It, it's the same principle in sports. It's the same principle in, in business. It's just it's the same principle. You see it every time you turn on the TV and you watch a commercial. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Believing life care happens best in authentic relationships, we offer small groups and Bible studies to provide the support structure for life because you've got to do life together with some folks who are doing life together with God. The future isn't what are we going to do. Mm -mm. The future is who will you be and whose will you be. A bunch of ones always creates the future. I read this great book recently. It was given to me by a good friend. Make Your Bed. Make Your Bed. It's written by Admiral William H. McRaven. He's U.S. Navy retired. Number one New York Times bestseller. You can read it in about a half an hour and your life can be rocked by this book. And it's Subtitle is Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. And he describes what he went through in training to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, he gave this message on May the 17th, 2014, at the University of Texas uh, at a commencement. And so it got so many hits, like 10 million hits on YouTube, that he uh, decided to, to expand it a little bit and put it in a book. Um, he talks about these things. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. In other words, do something that you can get done quickly. Check the box. You're on track. You're moving. You're going to get ready to go. And the simplest thing to do to start your day is make your bed. And that's one of the things he learned in SEAL training. Find someone to help you paddle. It's a great chapter. Measure a person by the size of, your, by the size of their heart. That's a great chapter. Get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. Now, you don't understand that unless you know Navy SEAL training where they could be ordered to go down, jump in the water, roll in the sand, and then have to stay that way for the rest of the day. And they could be ordered to do that for no reason. For no reason. Have to be sandy and wet all day long, and it was a pain, and they were learning a lesson. Life isn't fair. Get over yourself. Don't be afraid of the circus which is a chapter about failure can make you stronger. 
You must dare greatly. Don't back down from the sharks or bullies. Be your very best in the darkest moments. Give people hope. Start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. That's a fantastic chapter. I'm going to read it, read some of it to you in just a moment. Never, ever quit. Never, ever quit. Start singing when you're up to your neck in mud if you want to change the world. The night wind coming off the ocean was gusting to 20 miles an hour. There was no moon out, and an evening layer of low clouds obscured the stars. I was sitting in chest-deep mud, covered from head to toe with a layer of grime. My vision blurred by the caked-on clay. I could see only the outline of my fellow students lined up in the pit beside me. We could barely move. By the evening, we could barely move from the bone-chilling coldness and the fatigue. As the sun went down, the temperature dropped, the wind picked up, and everything seemed to get even harder. Morale was declining rapidly. This was the moment of truth. Our hope was fading fast. Get the picture? Not good. People are ready to give up. And the instructors are telling them, if five of you quit right now, come out, come out of this mud, have this hot coffee, have this hot soup, and it's all over. You, you quit. You quit the program right now, and then everything else will go better for everyone else who remains. And so they're building this tension. It's so hard. They're in pain. Somebody made a move to, to leave, and somebody held them back. Suddenly, above the howl of the wind came a voice singing. It was tired and raspy, but loud enough to be heard by all. The lyrics were not meant for tender ears, but everyone knew the tune. One voice became two, and two became three. And then before long, everyone was singing. The voices got louder, the class got stronger, and the will to continue on in the face of adversity became unbreakable. In the darkness, with the fire reflecting on the face of the instructor, I could see him smile. Once again, we had learned an important lesson. The power of one person to unite the group. The power of one person to inspire those around him, to give them hope. If that one person could sing while neck deep in mud, then so could we. If that one person could endure the freezing cold, then so could we. If that one person could hold on, then so could we. Today is not really the end of 25 years. Today is the beginning of whatever, what, of whatever God wants to do, of a future that he wants to give us if we will wholeheartedly give ourselves to him. Are you the one? Are you the one like Noah? Are you the one like Abraham? Are you the one like Esther? Are you, are you the one like Mary? Are you the one like John, like Paul? Are you the one? Are you the one who says, I'll live for him in the midst of a world that's crazy and a cacophony of voices surrounds me every day when I get up and leave my driveway. There's always voices. I'll be the one that steps into mission. I'll be the one that steps into ministry. I'll be the one who serves in summer serve when kids are down there. They just need somebody to say, hey, how are you doing, kids? I'll, I'll be here with you for an hour. 
you know, I'll, I'll do that. Or will you be the one who stands in the gap for Jesus Christ in the early part of the 21st century where people need to know God's love and grace. And they're only going to know it if we, the ordinary people who are living normal lives, are willing to show them God's love and grace and what that looks like. Not what coming to church looks like, but what dynamically living for God in real ways looks like. And some days you're frustrated, and some days you're anxious, and some days you got baggage, and some days you have enough faith to let go of baggage. But it all is one experience of answering the call of God who defines the future because you say, I'll be the one. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. That will change everything, my friends. 25 years ago, I just said, I'll be the one. God said, Michael, do what's on your heart. I said, okay. And I thought I was going to die didn't die. Because that's the whole point. The whole point is he gives you life when you think you're going to die. So this morning in a way, a letter that's 2,500 years old was written to you and God is saying I want to give you a future and a hope. But you have to believe in me with all your heart. You know, five years from now, what this church can be can be explosive. But that has to start today. And five years from now, what this church can be can be doing more in ministry and mission than we ever thought possible. But that has to start today. And it has to start with each of us coming alive. Each of us saying, yes, I'll be the one. Will you start singing with me? I'll be the one. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to step into a future that you create and you define because of who you are and you know what you want for us. Help us to live in the humility of a wholehearted giving of ourselves. Oh, Father, forgive us. As we know right now, we won't do that perfectly. But Father, encourage us to rise to each new day, singing together. We will be the ones that you will create the future through. In Jesus' name, amen.